Welcome to the Prize of Possibility podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Ablett. I have a strong belief that the greatest prizes in life are hidden in plain sight. They are the nuances, the nooks and crannies of everyday moments that are easily missed. Join me in these conversations with authors and influencers and researchers to miss fewer of them, to truly claim these prizes. I'm very excited to have my next guest here with me, uh, Albert Flynn DeSilver, coming all the way from California early on his side, just after eight. Um, he and I have been chatting here for a bit, uh, getting to know each other since we haven't met before. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to you know, introduce him. You know, these are some details about him and his work. He's an American poet, memoirist, novelist, speaker, and workshop leader. He's the founder of Writing as a Path to Awakening and a book by that same title that we'll certainly be talking about. You know, this is, you know, the, the program, the workshop program that he's put together is an embodied interconnected approach to creativity and writing helping us reignite joy, fun, spontaneity, and wisdom in our practice in the process of writing. You know, it's a, it's a workshop and retreat series and an online course experience. He currently teaches writing and mindfulness workshops at the Omega Institute, the Esalen Institute, Spirit Rock Meditation Center, and literary conferences nationally. And as I said, he lives in California. Um, you know, so this, the book that uh, I have here in front of me, uh, writing as a path to awakening. As I was reading through it, Albert, I was struck by so many things as a writer, author myself, as a meditator. Um, you know, there are other, a few other books out there um, that I'm aware of that try to make the intersection between mindfulness practice and, and writing. Um, you know, not to disparage any other, uh, you know, creative works in general, because it is an act of, as you and I were just chatting about, bravery just to put, you know, paper pen to page and, and go through the process of publishing. There's something unique about what you have done with this book. It really takes people through a process, a journey into both meditation and writing and how to integrate them and augment both for oneself. So I'll start with a general question, and then you take us where you want to go. You know, what has been, you know, what would you say about your path into that intersection? What led you into this intersection of meditation and writing? Why that nexus for you? Mm. Well, first of all, Mitch, thank you so much for having me. It's a total delight to meet you. And um, I, I really appreciate the connection that we both have to mindfulness and writing and you being a Shambhala author and <laughs> me being a sounds true author. And, and I, I love the title of this podcast, you know, the, that um, the prize of possibility. Thank you. Because um, actually, you know, my favorite chapter in writing is a path to awakening is chapter four, which is all about poetry. And I call poetry the, the language of possibility. Mm, yes. And so that was kind of like a, um, a connective ring that, that attracted me to, to um, meeting you and, and being here on the podcast. So anyway, I just wanted to begin with that yeah, appreciation. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, so the, 
the parallel paths of, of mindfulness and writing. So I actually went to school for, uh, well, first of all, I was a terrible student in high school. <laughs> I barely sort of feel like I barely made it out of high school. Always had trouble writing. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I was sort of diagnosed as ADD and uh, challenged in education, traditional education. Uh-huh. And, um, but there was a spark of creativity in high school. And there was this appreciation of language that, I, I mean, I grew up in a household of books. Mm. Um, both my parents were avid readers. Yeah. And they were great appreciators of, of art and writing. Yeah. Uh, but I just didn't sort of get it, you know, because I had, yeah. there was also, I was also in this, I grew up in a household of, of alcoholism and abuse. And okay. so there was this, there was very little sense of self actualization and self um, potentiality yeah uh, it all and I started drinking from a young age um, you know by by 22 I was a committed binge drinker there's a lot mm. of like really gnarly accidents that happened that I write about in my memoir yeah um, but I somehow survived and I got sober at a yeah. pretty early age um, and I got into photography a little bit out of high school and into college I didn't know what to do with myself so I learned that you could major in art, in, in making pictures and drawings. So I thought, wow, okay, that's, that makes sense to me. I can do yeah, that. Yeah, that's cool. I can and do that. Yeah. So I ended up, um, uh, I went to a little college out in Ohio for a year, and then um, I had kind of a miserable drunken experience there, and then transferred to the University of Colorado, and uh, ended up with a BFA, a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Photography. Uh huh. And um, got fairly into it. And um, and then once I graduated, I didn't know what to do with myself further. I was like, I felt kind of safe in school. Yeah. So I applied to uh, the San Francisco Art Institute and uh -huh. um, I sent them a portfolio of photographs I had shot abroad and actually got in. And, and so there I was in San Francisco. Yeah. And um, but once in San Francisco, it was like this whole other immersion. You know, I was in, immersed in this whole world of creativity that was just at this like accelerated level. Right. And um, the Art Institute is is a little bit, um, what is that? I guess it's north of uh, North Beach, which is, you know, sort of the heart of the, the beat generation and uh -huh. uh, City Lights books. And so there was just this sort of literary energy that was always beaming towards the yeah. Art Institute. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, I, I was with, I studied photography mostly, but um, Bill Berkson was a teacher there at the Art Institute. Uh, he was an art writer and uh -huh. a poet. And he sent me off to a poetry reading one night, my second year oh, at the wow. Art Institute. And I had never, I wasn't that into poetry. I didn't know much about it. Um, and he, he's like, oh, I'm doing this poetry reading. You should come check it out. And I was like, not interested in poetry you know, really, that's but not me not me yeah. it's not me right and I didn't have anything going on so I just went to it and um it turns out it was actually the launch reading from the Norton anthology of postmodern American poetry oh wow <laughs> it was just like massive amazing event at the Cowell Theater and uh Bill was there reading with uh, Alice Notley had flown in from Paris and uh, Diane DePrima was there and uh all these amazing poets from all over the country and the world. Cool. And it just blew my mind. 
totally blew my mind. And I just had this experience of listening to um, real, I mean, all the poets, but in particular, there was this one line that was uttered by the, the um, editor, Paul Hoover, who mm. in his introduction, he quoted Jack Spicer, who's one of these legendary Bay Area poets from the 1950s. And, and there's a line in one of his poems um, from the imaginary elegies, I think it is, where he says, unbind the dreamers, poet be like God. Wow. And I was just like, lightning, <laughs> you know, lightning, like, lightning bolt. Yes, exactly. And the hair blew back on my head. And I was just like, oh, I think I'm supposed to do this writing thing. This feels, and it was just like, ele I was electrified, you know, and I, I, I just, things shifted for me in that moment. Wow. And I, that, I think that was the moment I became a writer. So this is um, super important because it's not like you had had the years of like writing. I mean, you did what you had to do in school and whatnot, but you had never had the like, I'm a writer, I'm going to be a writer, getting tons of feedback. Oh, you need to be a writer. It was an experience that you had that just opened it. And it was like, that's, that's it. I, that's what I need to show up to. Exactly. Um, because nobody, definitely nobody really told me I was a decent writer. Um, I will say that there was, I had one experience as an undergrad um, because I, I took my um, a semester abroad through the, the um, School for International Training in East Africa. Uh -huh. And that's a whole other story. My mother spent some time in East Africa and traveled in East Africa in the 50s and 60s. And so I had, there was just like vague knowledge and interest in Africa. And I had the opportunity to apply for this study abroad program. So I spent four months in East Africa. And, and when I came back, um, I had, I, there was a class I took on, um, I even forget the name of the class, but I think it was African art. Uh -huh. African, it was sort of like an introduction to African art. And I had spent time in these rural communities uh, near Mombasa on the coast of, of uh, East Africa and, and studied, would actually did a little bit of field work. And, oh, uh, wow. and so I wrote a paper about this and there wasn't a lot written about these sculptures. There were these funerary sculptures of the Giriyama people. And um, so I wrote this paper and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I had some, some relatively new information and I actually got like an A minus on this paper. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it, it kind of was like, wow, that's a revelation. Right. It, it didn't, I didn't think of it in terms of creative writing per se, but it was the first time that someone had acknowledged that, that I had communicated something that, that sort of made sense and that was yes. heard and interpreted and understood. Yeah, and um, via via writing, via, via the process. Writing. Yeah. What what strikes me about that, Albert, is that you had these experiences in Africa, and then you wrote, at least in part, from those experiences. It sound like, and yeah, I mean, a yeah, lot of it was, um, you know, I was writing a lot of letters to a girlfriend at the time. I was writing my journal. We were encouraged to write in our journals. And I had never really done that very much. Uh -huh. um, but I look back and I, I think, oh yeah, that's kind of one of the first times that, that writing really took hold of me. And um, it was before, it was actually a couple of years before I had that experience at the 
the Cowell Theater. Um, uh, so, and then you also asked about that merging of, of yeah, meditation, meditation mindfulness. Okay, yeah. so fast forward <laughs> about <laughs> three or four years, and I've graduated from the Art Institute. It's the early to mid 90s, and I move out of San Francisco to Marin County. Yeah. And, and I, I find myself going out to Point Reyes a lot, I'm still taking some photographs. I want to write out there in yeah. the, the wilds of the Point Reyes National Seashore. And I have to drive out past this, um, the, through this valley, the San Geronimo Valley, where I now live. And there's this little fledgling uh, organization uh, called the Spirit Rock Meditation Center. Uh -huh. And I, and I we've driven past it a bunch of times, and, and I always misread the sign. Uh, that I thought it said mediation center. And I was like, <laughs> I said to my friend, why is there a mediation center out in the middle of the, and my friend was like, no, you dope. It's a meditation center. And I was like, what's that? Right, <laughs> like, right. I didn't really know what meditation was. And she said, uh, well, come, they do this Monday night thing with a guy named Jack Cornfield. And, yes. um, and you, you just come and you sit and he gives a little talk. And I was like, Oh, that sounds interesting. Okay. All right. So the very first time I went, I think this must have been 1994, 95. Uh-huh. And they had just recently built the um the uh the, the, the sort of the um kitchen and and um dining hall, but that was it. Otherwise it was just trailers. Yeah. And um and it was very low-key. And um and Jack was talking all about poetry. And he oh, was wow. poetry that whole night and just this connection between meditation and poetry and being with your heart and being still. And, and I was, I was Which, sober, recently sober, but like I had not dealt with the trauma mm -hmm. of my childhood. And so I had a lot of stuff stirring in me, a lot of yes. self, self-hatred, self-doubt, fear, anxiety. And here was a space and this guy saying, oh, like poetry, is a it's, it's like the ground of well ground of possibility it's a ground of yes. a new vision a new way of being in the world where you can heal your heart and connect with nature and language and give yourself voice and it was a total revelation yes and so that was like this that another was light kind of another lightning bolt yeah exactly exactly and you know for those that don't uh aren't super familiar with jack cornfield and his i'm uh, i don't know that I've ever heard him talk specifically in the things that I've listened to around poetry. And, you know, he talks about a lot of things when he teaches. You just happened to show up on the, at the talk where he's talking about poetry. It was like poetry night. He would have these themes. And, and I mean, I think most of his talks, he'll quote, yeah, you know, quotes. He'll yeah, quote at least like Mary uh, Mary Oliver poem or a Rumi poem. But this this seemed to be a very concentrated. It was sort of like poetry night at Spirit Rock. It was wow. pretty great. Wow. And so I started to see those connections. You know, I mean, Jack Spicer comes from this sort of avant-garde world of 1950s poetry, uh -huh. different than Mary Oliver, which we think of as kind of almost like a spiritual poetry. Yeah. But it was both of them both of these kinds of poetries were about awakening, awakening and, and waking yes. up to, to um, a new consciousness and a new awareness and, yes. um, and, a, and a, uh, getting it's a sort of languaging a clarity around the mystery of being in the world. 
Yes. So then that did that begin a process of you not only writing, but bringing writing as something that could be part of meditation in some way? Yeah, I mean, I really started practicing meditation. I mean, I immediately saw the the benefits and it, it, yes. it just transformed it, it transformed my world. It saved my life, really. Yes. Um, and so I started practicing. I started going to all these daylongs with Jack and um, with, you know, it's just such a, so many amazing teachers there. One of his teachers, uh, Ajahn Jamnian, would come from Thailand in the 90s. And, wow. Um, he didn't speak any English, uh -huh. <laughs> but I would show up and this guy was just so happy and he was just beaming and radiating a kind of presence and joy that I had never experienced. Yeah. You know, I grew up around anxious people who yes. you know, didn't like themselves. And here was this guy just sitting there kind of doing nothing, but telling stories and uh, in a different language, which I didn't understand, but I understood that human presence that human joy mm. that, that human um projection of kindness yes and so i got pretty into ajahn jamni and i started doing uh retreats with him oh, wow. and um and it really it changed my life i write a, a bit about that in writing's path to awakening about yeah. particularly i'm being on some of those retreats and finally releasing a lot of the stored energy traumatic energy in my body Yes. Through intensive mindfulness practice and meditation. Yes. And and is that uh, what you've seen in your own workshops and what people can really encounter that juncture between meditation and writing as a path of healing? It's amazing. It's incredible. Again and again and again. Uh, I, I see once people are, can kind of get beyond the the voices in their head and the the, the self-doubt and the self-criticism that we're all so conditioned by right and and they touch into their embodied heart and they mm -hmm. they start to loosen up a little bit of the the um the energy the constricting energy um it's extraordinary what arises they their voice you know they they finally find this connection to their voice and it's this beautiful revelation I mean, I just saw it last last weekend. We were teaching a uh, an online retreat through the Shambhala Mountain Center in Colorado, uh -huh. and it was such a beautiful retreat because so many new people were coming into our um, our workshop and and just really finding their voice and being like, "Oh my God, wow, I can do this! I can yes. articulate my vision of the world, my experience, my story." And, and kind of let that go and kind of understand it in a new way through the practice of writing. So I, I love that because I, you hear people in the writing world talk about or, or performance or you know, artistic performance. You have to find your voice. You have to you know, perform using your voice. And what I've watched people do, what I have tried to do and thankfully the more distant past is try to force that or me mm. mechanistically do my voice right. uh, versus what, you know, I know as a meditator and increasingly as a writer, you know, that my voice is not that narrative in my head. It's not the narratives. It's not Mitchness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's writing from, 
for lack of any word that's going to really capture it with the word used, you know, presence, you know, and letting, you know, it's like writing uh, in between the, the, the inked, you know, letters, you know, letting, mm -hmm. letting, you know, the writing come through that space. And, and that's, I have to say, you know, uh, I, my, my latest book, you know, I was trying to, I went way past my deadline with Shambhala mm. to the point that I was like very sheepishly and, you know, she might listen to this, you know, so my, my <laughs> editor, Beth Frankel, you know, I'm like, you know, Beth, I'm way, way past, you know, and she was very kind and very supportive. What do you need? And what I, what I said is that I just, you know, COVID and then, you know, it's a book about parenting. And in many ways, there was, so, you know, I was not showing up in my own parenting mm -hmm. of my two kiddos. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to uh, force, you know, writing about basically showing up to kids in presence. And it just, it wasn't getting done. It wasn't getting done. Yeah. And, and I, I had to let go but then find a way to to really feel and to write from that and it could be very painful and yet powerful yes. so yes well thank you for saying that because i think that's what a lot of people don't realize is that it takes a lot of courage you know if you really want to 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 write is or to any art really um, whether it's dance or art, when you really give yourself to it, when you really get into it, you got to show up, you know, you got to face those demons and be present to, to all of it. If you want it to be interesting and good and captivating to both yourself and any kind of audience that you want to engage with. Yeah. And so I always remind my, my writers and my wannabe writers that this is an act of courage. And, you know, we're often, especially on retreat, lots of tears, Mm. you know lots of emotion flowing and we allow that there's lots of the, there's anger that shows up you know there's fear that shows up and we hold that in a sacred space um with you know with tenderness yes and, um but i love what you said also about you know writing in between the uh i don't know how you said it exactly but kind of those writing in those in between spaces yes. and getting beyond Mitchness, but but we also want Mitchness in there because that gives, that's your character, right? That's your yes. unique flavor. So it's kind yes. of like, how do we balance that, the letting go with our, you know, having our voice kind of thread through there. I think that's so, the dance. So, so, you know, in the book, you have all these practical exercises for people. And I love how you laid it out on the calendar month by month with a theme um and then mindfulness practice like in like more of a traditional like pure meditative practice but then a mindful writing practice you know around like someone who's a you know they want to write they feel called to writing but they haven't done much writing and maybe they are you know as all of us are to some degree there's pain points there's our history mm -hmm. there's suffering um, maybe they're newish to meditation. What what do you, what are the things that you do in the beginning, you know, that you offer to people to help them engage both, both the writing and the, the meditation? Silence. 
mm. is is the first is the first gateway you know to 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 just get into that space of quiet just to get quiet you know because we do when we approach a new topic or a new subject you know there's all these ideas it's like i can't do this i i, I don't have any experience with this you know whatever those voices of resistance are um what do they sound like in silence you know so mm. so i usually begin by just landing in the body inviting people to connect in the body and to invite them also just to see if they can let some of that stuff go and when they mm. what happens when they really tune in you know um and trust trust their voice Mm -hmm. and that true voice that's coming from the heart not so much from the mind um, yes of, of self-assessment and evaluation and judgment but like really kind of tuned into like oh yeah what do I want to say here um and what would it what would that be like you know when I, I one of the things that we we talk a lot about in the, on retreat is it's just the the incredible mystery that is the human entity Yes. And that is life itself. Like, I don't, I have no idea what's going to come out of my mind or my mouth next. Right. <laughs> we should be careful here, Mitch. But, right. But no, right. seriously, it's like having that kind of sort of curiosity and joy around it, I think is, is super important because the reality is we all have profound stories to tell. We all have everyone, 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 you know, I, I get on the phone every week, almost every day with people and they're like, well, you know, my life isn't really that interesting. And I'm like, really? Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tell me, a, tell me a little story from your childhood. And then next thing you know, they're like, oh, well, actually, you know, my father was born in Africa and he left the family when I was 12. And, you know, and then all this like incredible stuff that's happened to them, but they yes. don't think of it in, in those terms. They don't think of it in those terms. Right. Exactly. I, I love that because this is equal opportunity, you know, because particularly around writing and to some degree, maybe a, a lot degree with meditation well that's not my bag i'm not good at that mm -hmm. and yet everyone has compelling story and and to me I, i'm super into this not just as a writer and meditator i actually think this is the path out of the woods for all of us you know with all the mm -hmm. you know mashugana going on in the world right you know that mm -hmm. we need to tap into common humanity and we need to be able to really talk to one another we need to be yes. able to share the compelling stories that every single person has and and i i think that writing can be you don't it, it, you don't have to have the like, i have to publish stuff that was the you mm -hmm. know the mental screw job that i did on myself was right. i have to be the next kurt vonnegut <laughs> right. and i listened to him talk when i and i had a lightning bolt you know and people in my podcast probably heard me talk about this before i heard him speak it was him joseph heller and william styron mm. in the same room at florida mm. state and yeah. somebody not me because i was too anxious goes to the mic at the q a and they're like mr vonnegut i idolize you i want to publish satirical novels what advice would you have and we're all on the edge of our seat because i'm me and a lot of people there wanted to be novelists mm -hmm. and he looked the person right now and he's like you you will fail 
And then he sat back with his little smirk on his face. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, that's harsh. (laughs) Yeah. But in the the mental screw job I was in, even at that time, I was in grad school and I was feeling like this isn't clicking for me. Maybe I need to go get it. Yeah, MFA in creative writing. Florida State has a really good program. And -hmm. I almost did it. Yeah. But in that moment, I remember looking at that person and asked the question like, yeah, he's going to fail. Me, I'm going to write the next, you know, bestseller novel. I'm going to be the next Vonnegut. And, and, and that, that was the end of the conversation. That's all he said. That's, it was like, all, you're gonna... that's all he said. And then the that's moderator a... moved it along. Yeah, I have to say that's a kind of a terrible thing to say to somebody. <laughs> I mean, I kind of get it, you yeah. know, but that's not like the most compassionate no. way of framing it. No. And the truth is, though, that that nobody knows what they're doing. And um, and that was a revelation to me. I remember reading this interview with, with Samuel Beckett. And, and in that interview, it, he talked about how he had no idea what he was doing. And I was yeah. like, oh, really? And, and then it became like so self-evident because I was trained as a photographer. I came to writing in my late 20s and I really didn't know what I was doing. I was totally untrained. Right. And I had just basically been sparked by this one line that I heard at a poetry reading. And that's what drove me forward in terms of curiosity. And I just started going to the library. You know, I think it's and amazing. I, I think it's amazing. And then I found that like I, I bought the anthology and then I started trying to find the books by the individual poets. And then I learned there was this thing called California Poets in the Schools. And, and that there were these professional poets that went around and taught kids not about poetry or not to memorize poems, but to write from their own direct, true experience of the world and to write poems themselves. I thought, wow, that's the coolest thing in the world. Sign me up for that. (laughs) So I started uh, hanging around the the California poets in the schools and and eventually I trained with them. And uh, I trained with a guy named Dwayne Big Eagle. He was a Native uh-huh. American writer and teacher, kind of a legend here in Northern California. Uh-huh. And next thing I know, I'm like in a classroom teaching kids how to write poetry. And I don't really even know how to write poetry. <laughs> the thing is, and you know, you had a, it sounds like a serious sequence of teachings that weren't the mechanics of writing. Yeah, and you know, and, I, and people can't see because I'm looking at you sitting in your, your home. You know, you, you're surrounded by books. You said in the beginning, you grew up surrounded by. So even though that wasn't in your narrative, there were a lot of conditions. Yeah, I can't help be the psychologist here, right? You know, sorry. About- <laughs> no, no, this this right. is great. Keep right. going. Right, 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 right. I'll send you the, the bill later. Um, but, you know, but I'll, I'll take it off you. I, I can remember a lightning bolt for me. And, and this sounds like people might be listening. Well, this isn't practical. You know, go out looking for lightning bolts. That doesn't sound good. You know, and yet, yet I can remember, but, you know, I think it was right before grad school. I was um, not sure what I was doing. I had been in law school and dropped out because I it sent my social anxiety through the roof. Tons of suffering as a result of that. I think I had decided to go to grad school, but I hadn't started yet. 
I'm sitting on a bench in Tallahassee and I had gone, I used to, there was a used bookstore I used to go to and just like browse and start buying mm -hmm. stuff, mostly psych related, no meditation. I was not a meditator. Um, I got a little copy. I still have it of Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there on the bench reading it. And I got to the line in there. I speak the password primeval. <laughs> and I was like, that's it. Yeah. And I, 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 I don't know what that it was, but it, it had, it, it sounds similar to the, the moment that you had. I, I read this. I, and I, what, why was I reading that? Because I was trying, I was, trying to learn how successful authors wrote their stuff so that I could learn their little language tricks and piece mm -hmm. something together that would be a bestseller. So I was studying various authors, but in a, from a, I think the wrong angle, but then despite that, I had that moment. And I was like, I don't know how, I don't know what, but there's something in that line that that's me. Mm -hmm. I, ha I have to show up to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's beautiful. And that's so much the journey. I think if we can remain open and curious, that's really, that's really it. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm on some level, I'm kind of dramatizing that, that revelatory point of transformation um, for illustrative purposes, right? Yes, yes. Um, but we all have these moments in our lives where you know we kind of go from one point of consciousness to the next where things yes. change for us and it changes the direct trajectory of our lives i mean that's story that's storytelling right there and yes. um it doesn't mean that you have to have some like explosive dramatic revelation um or right. lightning bolt in your experience but just to to remain open to remain curious and to remember that you don't need to know what you're doing there's this like very people come to my writing retreats and workshops like like super tensed out about following directions and am I doing it right and this right. is the correct way and I'm like no 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 there is no correct way You're, we're we're all just kind of like going into this with with um, curiosity and with wonder and kind of like as an experiment to see what happens I, I love there's when no I asked, failing there's no failing. I love how when I asked you, how do you help beginners both in the writing and the meditation realm, you say you start with silence. And that even in the meditation world, you know, I don't think it gets talked about enough around the practice of silence. I mean, yes, you can be formally sitting and following the breath or whatever the anchor of attention is or, and yet you know, really noticing the silence and letting things arrive with that you know curiosity. Why? You know why, Mitch? It's why? because it's terrifying, I think. Yeah. I genuinely think it's terrifying for, for, for pe most people, if we're honest with ourselves. And it's, it's, it has been terrifying for me in the past. Yes. To be in silence is to be exposed to the totality of your humanity. And that includes absolute terror, um, really intense sensations and energies that have drummed up from our traumatic past, 
Um, that includes uncertainty and unknowing, which is yes. scary. Yes. Um, and I think through the practice, what I've noticed in my own experience is that if we can start to incrementally, not all at once, but incrementally um, condition ourselves to allow those sensations and those, those points of terror, those points of fear, slowly and within the context of support, um, it can open up just vast gateways of creativity and beauty in our lives. I, so. I, I, I love that. And, and it's absolutely true in my experience that silence is terrifying. And yet it is a huge portal Yes, that's so the you, word I was going to use. Yeah. You know, you know what? I, I, I'm a psychologist. I, you know, I've been in practice for many years now, and I've trained a number of clinicians over the years. And I give workshops about mindfulness, and then being a clinician or nurse, you know, educators that are intervening. And I, I've increasingly found myself talking, which is irony, but talking about silence. Mm -hmm. And that even, you know, therapists, this is what they do. They, they show up to these interactions so that others can show up to pain and suffering. And yet most of us as therapists, we talk too much. Mm -hmm. And what I've said to people is that what I've been trying to increasingly do over the years is hang in, stay with the silence. And what I've found is that sometimes with a patient, just hanging in and being with and remaining verbally silent, even though I'm not silent internally, there's a lot happening. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes just a second or two beyond what I would have done in the past, that then something starts to open in the patient. That if I had jumped in with that gold brick of wisdom or insight or, or whatever, right when I first had the impulse, they never would have gotten there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, really what you're talking about is listening, right? Deep, yeah. deep listening. So it's deep listening to yourself and to the universe. I'm doing air quotes for those who can see. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> um, we all have sort of a different conception of the universe. Um, right. But yeah, really that deep, deep listening. Um, and then that reflects outward into our, our lives in, in where we start to listen to others. And this is the healing of the world. Um, listening to yes. those who don't agree with us. Yes. You know? And listening to those painful, um, you know, points of belief that people really attach themselves to, whether it's anti-vaxxers or trumpers or people who love the guns or whatever it is you know we all right. have our I, I find a lot of energy around it in my own experience and yet i'm just keep coming back to like okay let me listen let me just yes. be a point of listening and and start from there um, it, and what I, I i i love that and you know i love this so much that recently i've started putting together a course you know i'm calling it like you know you know, for marketing purposes, you got to put some of these words in, you know, mastering the difficult conversation, something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And it's going to include a lot around listening and not the way most people have been conditioned to listen, which is mm -hmm. 
listen for understanding but what most people i think take from that what i've always in the past taken from that is listen to understand the meanings of what they're saying and maybe a little bit about what that might mean to them but i think what the listening we're talking about is 360 in out listening Mm -hmm. listening to the body listening to the heart listening to your mind and the way I like to say it to be listening behind what people are saying and doing it's it's a complete listening and that is terrifying and yet so much richness you know and creativity if we're talking about writing shows up from it so. absolutely yeah that's hey, listen, I, revelation I, I we could we could keep going <laughs> yes. you know and we can't because you know we have this time thing here but uh you know, I, I would I would love to have you back at some point at some point, Albert. There's like so much that we could parse. And and I felt like we were almost gonna do a practice, you know, there a while ago. You know, maybe <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, I I personally am very drawn to the work that you're doing. Would love to follow up with you more about things that you're doing. Uh, but how can people that are curious about your work, where can they go to find out more about uh, your retreats, your workshops, your book? Yeah, so there's um, my main website is just my full name, Albert Flynn D Silver, D E Silver like the metal dot com, uh-huh. and uh, the book can be found anywhere. It sounds true. So your local independent bookstore is where I hope you'll <laughs> grab. Yes. A or you know what? I should mention the fact that right now I'm doing. Uh, we're just um, doing this sort of freebie thing on my website, um, where you can get the book for the cost of shipping. And um, we also That's have cool. a little, a little uh, free webinar there people can engage with and get an introduction to the work. Um, oh, nice. And um, if people are really interested, um, they can also um, jump on a free uh, publishing and writing consultation call um, through um, for, I don't know how long we're going to be keeping that open, but yeah, yeah. so That's <laughs> people awesome. listening can try that and uh, it's all there at the at the main website. But you have some portals open for people to engage. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I invite anybody who's interested in writing and exploring their own voice um, or, or interested in writing a book, you know, um, come join us, check it out. We have an incredible community of supportive writers from all over the world. And um, we'd love to hear your story. That's so. awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me, Albert. Well, Mitch, what a joy. This has been really great. Thanks so much for having me. And I, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Awesome. Take care. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of the Prize of Possibility. I hope you found things of benefit here. If so, please consider giving this show a positive review. Such feedback is not only great to hear, Um, It also really helps elevate the show so that others can find benefit from it. Please stay tuned. More episodes, some great guests on the way so that we can together discover these true life prizes in daily life. Take care.